0: Ritam Taptajivanum Kavi Satsangalam Srimadatatam Bhuvigranantie So in the last class, we were discussing the conversation of Sri Ramakrishna, where he was indicating that though one may have good samskaras, one may be born with the characteristics of a yogi, but he too should be careful. The spiritual journey uh, entails a lot of vigilance. That vigilance is the price of, the price of purity is vigilance. That's the English proverb goes, that even when we have sufficiently progressed, but the mind is yet to be fully purified, there are chances that through the gaps of the interruptions of our ishtavritti, the old samskaras may rise. And again, it may drag down the spiritual aspirants to the worldliness. So one should be very, very careful So that's the thing which Sri Ramakrishna was indicating as we saw in the last class, just to read those lines, which he has mentioned. Some are born with the characteristics of the yogi, but they too should be careful. It is woman and gold alone that is the obstacle. It makes them deviate from the path of yoga and drags them into worldliness. Perhaps they have some desire for enjoyment After fulfilling their desire, they again direct their minds to God and thus recover their former state of mind, fit for the practice of yoga. So that's as you were indicating that even in the Yoga Sutra, there's a Sutra in the fourth chapter, the last chapter after describing all the various paths leading to the ultimate yoga, that almost in the end it is mentioned, that one should be cautious till one has reached the spiritual illumination. However, pure the mind may be, till he has reached the spiritual illumination, spiritual realization, there's a chance of again coming back to the state of worldliness. So, tat chidreshu pratyaya antarani sanskarebhyah. So, there's during the intervals in the state of discriminative awareness, other ideas or pratyas arise because of past samskaras. So one have to be cautious in spiritual life. So that's the warning the Sri Ramakrishna is giving that never take that little spiritual uh, realization has dawned. Means some little uh, illumination has happened and you start feeling very, very confident that of course that I have almost reach the goal, but we find that so many are there. Even in the gospel, we find it is mentioned that even after having the bhava samadhi, people are coming down as they had no necessary preparations because sometimes uh, when in the mass gathering, the environment is created through singing, bhajans, kirtan, that suddenly the spiritual awareness may rise because of very intense emotion, but As if we don't have the basic preparations, the basic foundations, then the mind rises very high, very quickly, and again it falls. And then it can just lead to the disintegration. So that's why that more than the spiritual illumination, one should give more stress to the strong foundation in spiritual life that how, mo- how my life, my personality is getting overwhelmed, is overhauled, is getting, my personality is getting purified. How my old sanskaras is being cleansed out. That is more important, not the realization because the realization may come, but if we don't have sufficient strength, we will not be able to hold onto it. It will again take us back to the old ways of life. So now Sri Ramakrishna, is speaking of the fact that unless and until the mind is fully cleansed from all sorts of worldliness, it is very difficult for the mind to be united with absolute reality. So now what he's saying, have you ever seen the spring trap for fish called the shatka kal? It's a Bengali word, shatka kal, as there is no uh, appropriate translation so they have kept that word as say as the bengali word itself shotka call so have you ever seen the spring trap for fish called the shotka call what it is just to give an uh, idea what it is that when you are holding the spring that's fishing rod you have to just you have to be an adept means uh, what you say that in catching fish with a fishing rod. but There is a way out. There is an automated process. What's that? One end of the rod is fixed to something like spring, which is attached to the ground. The other end is having the line with the bet. When the fish catches the bet, the end, the other end, which is just connected with the spring, that gets loosened and the this the rod will just move straight up and the fish that gets caught. So no one has to hold the uh, fishing rod as such. It's a very, very uh, in the village, it's a very common technology they use to catch the fish. So that's called the shatkakal. So now Sri Ramakrishna is using the shatkakal, this fish catching trap, fishing rod, automated fishing rod as an example for the state of spiritual illumination. What he's saying? Master, M, no sir, I haven't seen it. Master, they use it in our part of the country. One end of a bamboo pole is fastened in the ground and the other end is bent over with a catch. From this end, a line with a hook hangs over the water with weight tied to the hook. When the fish swallows the bait, suddenly the bamboo jumps up and regains its upright position. So what, with this example, what Sri Ramakrishna is actually indicating that the fish catching bait, that it is a mind state of the sarvartata, the vagaries. when uh, When the one end is attached to the ground, it speaks that it is attached to all the worldly attachments with thousands of distractions. So that's why the other end, the upright position speaks of the spiritual illumination. Why it cannot go upright? Because it is tied to the worldliness. The other end of the fishing rod speaks of your attempt to have the communion with the divine. The moment the fish catches the bet, that speaks of the yoga. You somehow are able to fix your mind to your chosen ideal. So that's the catching of the fish which uh, speaks of the moment the fish catches the bet means your mind got united with your chosen ideal. And that entails the loosening of all the worldly attachments. So the immediately the other end of the bamboo which is tied, to the ground with the help of a spring so that gets loosened and the bamboo stick immediately just goes to the upright position speaking of the mind has become fully devoid of all worldliness you have become; so it has become spiritually aligned so that's the example he's giving so just let us read it they they use it in our part of the country one end of a bamboo pole is fastened to the ground so this speaks of your attachment to the worldly ways of life. And the other end is bent over with a catch. So this speaks of the mind, which is trying to get united with the chosen ideal. From this end, a line with the hook hang is hanging over the water. So we're trying to get united with a bit tied to the hook. When the fish swallows the bit, means when the mind gets united with the chosen ideal, Suddenly the bamboo jumps up and regains its upright position. That's the regain word is important. That our natural, our natural state is our spiritual uh, identity. That's the natural state. Somehow because of ignorance, we got attached to this worldly way of living. The moment the mind gets attuned to the divine, again it regains its upright position. Again it. Regains its spiritual identity. So that's what Sri Ramakrishna is indicating. So again, he's giving some another example. Take a pair of scales. For example, if a weight is placed on one side, the lower needle moves away from the upper one. The lower needle is the mind and the upper one, God. The meeting of the two is yoga. So the Jivatma and the Paramatma the two scales of the weighing machine. When there is no weight, they're in the same level that speaks of Jivatma is identified with the Paramatma. What is the reason for the Jivatma getting disidentified from the Paramatma? The weight, the weight of worldliness. All our, the distractions, the attachments, our thoughts of worldly ways of life, our worries, our tensions, That are the weight. That's the weight which doesn't allow the pan on which I have kept the weight to be at the same level with the other pan. The moment you remove the two, automatically regains the same position. And that speaks of yoga. So, the more we can get rid of worldliness, our natural state of our being is our spiritual identity. So, how to cleanse the mind, how to have the chitta shuddhi. So that is the thing, Mr. Ramakrishna is indicating with the help of these examples, that jaha ram taha nahi kam. This is a in Hindi. This is a this is a way of saying. It's a Tulsidas uh, uh, from the Tulsidas uh, way of uh, is a Tulsidas proverb. What the jaha ram taha nahi kam. Where there is desire, there cannot be the God. We cannot travel across the ocean. This river of this samsara as a river of worldliness by having our two legs in two boats. One boat is the worldliness, the other a spirituality. No one can travel that way. Either I have to be in one boat or the other. Either we have to get aligned to a spiritual identity or we have to immerse in worldliness. There cannot be a balance between the two. So that's the thing Sri Ramakrishna is indicating that if you want spiritual life, there cannot be any compromise. You have to forsake the worldly way of living. The more you can do that, the more you will be identified with your spiritual identity. So unless the mind becomes steady, there cannot be yoga. It is a wind of worldliness that always disturbs the mind, which may be likened to a candle phlegm. If the phlegm doesn't move at all, then one is said to have attained yoga. This is an example which Sri Ramakrishna is citing from the Bhagavad Gita. In Bhagavad Gita, uh, in sixth chapter, the chapter which is speaks of dhyana yoga, there we find there is a sloka, what Yatha Depo Nivatasthu Nengate Sopamas Prata Yogina Yata Chittasya Yunjatu Yogam Atmana. So Yatha Depo Nivatastha. So even as when a lamp is placed free from any. Here, from the breeze, it doesn't flicker. So is the simile of a yogi. So is the example of a yogi whose mind has been totally controlled. The winds of worldliness no more in way disturbs the flame. The flame no more wavers. It no more flickers. So that's what is mentioned in the Bhagavad Gita. So this steady flame speaks of the state of yoga. That when you have attained yoga, then is all the worldliness has fallen off. So the flame no more flickers. The mind is no more disturbed. It has attained a steady state. So woman and gold alone are the obstacle to yoga. Always analyze what you see. What is there in body of a woman? Only such things as blood, flesh, fat, entrails, and the like. Why should one love such a body? So this is the idea. In our scriptures, we find in many places in the Yoga Sutra, there is that the fifth sutra of the second chapter. There, this speaks of what's avidya, what's ignorance? Anitya, asuchi, dukkha, anatmasu. Nitya, shuchi, sukha, atma, khyati, avidya. The four things. Anitya, we take the e- ephemeral as nitya. Anitya is taken as Nitya, Ashuchi is taken as Shuchi. The thing which is impure, that is taken as pure. The example which Sri Ramakrishna is giving, I still remember that I've seen long back a movie. Uh, uh, In that movie, uh, it was a silent movie. Pushpak Viman, it was a silent movie, long back. Uh, That the details of the movie, we won't go There was a particular scene in which that A man, uh, somehow, uh, a a man just uh, tied a rich man in a hotel room so as to enjoy all his money. He will take his credit card and go around. So he tied him in a chair. His mouth was uh, even uh, with, with some tape. It was closed so that he cannot shout. And he was there. He seated in that position for days together. Now, the big challenge was, that everyone has the nature's call. Now how to, in the tight position to do that. So then he made some hole in the chair and the night soil was collected in some pot. And what he used to do, now where to dispose it off. He will nicely pack it with a wonderful colorful package and nicely put scent on it. And then with that, he will go to the bus stand as if he's waiting to catch the bus. And when the bus comes, he as he forgets in a hurry to catch the bus, he as he forgets to take it, he keeps it and, gets the, and just boards the bus and the bus leaves. And some other person who was standing in the bus stand seeing that he thought it must be something precious. So he took it at his home. And what happened, it was not shown. The only thing which was shown the next day, again, the same scene. Again, that person brings that wonderful package nicely packed and with all the sorts of scent. And the same man still is standing there. But today just seeing the bag immediately started vomiting. So he started. So that's what is supposed to be. We are all that bag with all sorts of these nasty things which as is indicated. That's what our body but what is avidya? We see shuchi, purity in something which is impure. That's the way we are, we have our default mode of mind is. We take Shuchi as Ashuchi, Anitya as Nitya, dukkha as Sukha. That all these worldly entanglements ultimately is going to result in dukkha. but that's the thing we all aspire for, all our aspiration is for all those temporary pleasures of life. And in Anatma, this body which is fragile in that, we think it to be the Atma. Khyati means knowledge. So wherever you find this type of knowledge, false knowledge of anything temporal in that we are thinking there's thinking it to be permanent, which is impure, we take it to be pure, which is ultimately results in dukkha suffering, we take it to be the cause of sukha, happiness. And all the things which are anatma, where the which it is just body-mind complex, that we take to be as the Atma, as a soul. The soul is behind that. No one loves a dead body. Why? We just love another being because the Atma is there, but we forget that seeing the reflection of Atma in the body-mind complex, we take the body-mind complex to be the real and that's the cause of Dukkha and that's what Sri Ramakrishna is indicating in these lines. Sometimes I used to assume a Rajasic mood to practice renunciation. It's a very interesting thing Sri Ramakrishna is now going to say. Once I had to desire, once I had a desire to put on a gold embroidered robe, wear a ring on my finger and smoke a Hubble bubble with a long pipe. Now he's a poor person, from where he will get this Ramakrishna. So Mathur Babu, the the owner of the temple garden, Mathur Babu procured all these things for me. I wore the gold embroidered robe and said to myself after a while, mind, this is what is called a gold embroidered robe." Then I took it off and threw it away. I couldn't stand the robe anymore. Again, I said to myself, mind, this is called a shawl and this is a ring and this smoking a Hubble bubble with a long pipe. I threw those things away once for all and the desire to enjoy them Never arose in my mind again. So that's something which Sri Ramakrishna is speaking. We may think it is a peculiar practice from which we have nothing to, uh, uh, what you say, that imitate or follow. But here, what he's speaking is, is just the thing which speaks of the in the modern psychology that don't run away from. Uh, your feelings, your desires. Don't run away from it. Face them. Means, as Swami Vivekananda, when, you know, that wonderful example, when he was as a a wandering monk, he was traveling through the various places of India, and he was in Kashi, he was in Banaras. And one day he went to visit the Durga temple there. After visiting the Durga temple, after... uh, Uh, being there for some time when he was returning back. When he came out from the Durga temple, the way out, the way to exit the Durga temple is a very narrow road. On one side there's a huge wall, very tall wall. And on the other side there is a reservoir. So there's no way you can run on the side of the road. One is wall, another is a reservoir, and the road is so narrow. And as he was passing through the roads, He felt something is behind him. And when he looked back, he saw a pack of monkeys. They were chasing him. So Swami Vivekananda got scared, seeing so many monkeys almost on his heels. He started running. The more he ran, the monkeys chased him more and more. They were almost going to grab him. And then suddenly he heard an old monk from a distance shouting. What is shouted? Stop! Face the brutes. Stop! Faced the brutes, hearing that Swami turned around. He faced the monkeys, and a wonderful thing happened. The monkeys also stopped. As long as he was staring, the monkeys were staring back. After some time, the monkeys started retreating. And Swami Vivekananda is just reminiscencing this incident and is saying, "I learned a great lesson in life: that don't run away from the demons which are in your mind." from all the evils, stop, face the roots. So when we have any feelings, desires, it's the best way is not to run away, but to run within, face them, see their nature. What's their nature? As in the Bhagavad Gita, it is mentioned, this guna, guneshu, vartanta, all these things are just a mere interaction of these external gunas with the internal mind, And they don't stay long. Agama, apaina, anitya. They come, they go. Don't get identified. Just watch them. That's the way to get rid of all the so called entanglements. Watch them, recognize them, and you will find they come, they go. Once, Once you know their real nature, that they are ephemeral, face them, they will go. That is, Sri Ramakrishna used to say, once you can recognize Maya, immediately Maya loses its hold. He used to say a very nice story. One day the children were playing and one of the elderly person who happened to be their uncle, he wore some uh, bear skin. After wearing the bear skin, he entered there. The children were terrified. They thought really some animal has come. They were shouting, screaming and he was just standing on the door, so they couldn't even run out. So they were, they were horrified. They never knew what to do. Suddenly, one small girl, among all those children, recognized. She shouted, "Hey, this is our uncle!" And the moment the girl told that it, it is our uncle, immediately, uncle, the, uh, that elderly person removed the all the mask which he was wearing, that the bear skin which he was wearing, immediately removed because there is. In no way he can scare them anymore because he has been recognized. So the way, once you can recognize the Maya, it falls off. So here, this is the way, don't run away. That in the modern psychology, they speak of rain acronym. Recognize any feeling, any desire, accept it. Don't try to run away from it, accept it. Investigate its nature. If you investigate, you will find that they come, they go. They're not going to give you any permanent satisfaction. It's just a flow. It just comes and it just goes. Just face it and then negate it. Once you have investigated its nature, and then you can easily negate it. There's a nice story in the life of Swami Sardhananda, another direct disciple of Ramakrishna. When a young novice met Sardananda, an elderly monk, the general secretary of the Ramakrishna order, and Swami Vivekananda used to say that he has the blood of a fish. Means he's a, like fish, is a, fish are cold blood animal. Means uh, ironically, just allegorically meant to say that he's a very, very cool tempered personality. Nothing can agitate him. And that's why he, had was, he, had, he played the role of a general secretary in our order, Ramakrishna order. For the first general secretary. Swami Vivekananda asked him to be the general secretary. Because in the forming stage of the organization, there was a need of such a very calm, equipoised person, always uh, at his, always can maintain his balance, whatever may be the situation. So, th- such was the personality of Shardhananda, always appeared to be so calm, equipoised, as if nothing disturbs him. So, a young novice one day came and confessed. He told that our mind is so disturbed. We try to meditate, but from where all sorts of thoughts come, it disturbs. These evil thoughts come, and you are all blessed. You have such a pure mind. This all these thoughts doesn't come, so you don't know the struggle. What the struggle is? And Sharananda told, know it for certain. Mind is mind. All sorts of thoughts do have the tendency to come in it. Even for me also. All sorts of thoughts do come, maybe it's less frequent, but do come. But do you know what's the difference between you and me? That's a very interesting thing he told, that suppose you're inside a room, engaged in something, you're just engaged in some household work, and you don't notice that the window is open, and you don't notice that in the one corner of the sky, a speck of cloud has developed. and. That cloud is now developing. Layers after layers of cloud is developing. The skies has become dark, but as you were engaged in something, busy in something, you have not noticed. And then suddenly it started raining. There was thunderstorm, it started raining, and there was strong wind, and the water came just flashed inside. And then suddenly you noticed. And then by the time when you go to close the window, already the room has been drenched and you find it is so hard to close the window because of the strong wind. So you're totally unplugged. For me, I was watching. I saw the small snake of clouds forming and taking layers after layers. And then the thunderstorm was there. Everything was there, I was watching. And so I was prepared that in proper time, I could go and take the necessary measures like the close the window and sitting inside, I can still enjoy the rain. But you were taken totally, uh, this unprepared, you were taken aback. Suddenly it came. Why? Because you were not vigilant. Just see, such a nice example, doesn't it speak of the modern mindfulness? Observe. These vagaries of the mind come and go, don't get attached to it, just sit back and say, I'm observing. Isn't it just the same thing which Sri Ramakrishna is doing here? The same thing. He's just allowing to just, whatever this uh, fantasies came in his mind, okay, let let me have the experience of it, but as a witness. And once it's gone, then you can just say that mind, you have gone through that experience. Now it came, it has gone, it's over. So that's the difference between an evolved soul and an ordinary person. We get tremendously attached because we are never aware of our mind. We are never watching our mind. We are just carried away by the mind. So once we develop the faculty of watching the mind and nothing can disturb us, things come, things go. You can just sit behind as a spectator and just be detached, observing it. So that's what Sri Ramakrishna is indicating. Sometimes I used to assume a rajasic mood to practice renunciation. Once I had the desire to put on a gold embroidered robe, wear a ring on my finger, and smoke a hubble bubble with a long pipe, Mathur babu procured all these things for me. I wore the gold embroidered robe and said to myself after a while, "Mind." This is what is called a gold embroidered rope. Then I took it off and threw it away. I couldn't stand the rope anymore. Again, I said to myself, mind, this is called a shawl and this is a ring and this smoking a Hubble bubble with a long pipe. I threw those things away once for all and the desire to enjoy them never arose in my mind again. It is almost dusk, the master and M stood talking alone near the door on the southeast veranda. Master to M, the mind of the yogi is always fixed on God, always absorbed in the self. You can recognize such a man by merely looking at him. His eyes are wide open with an aimless look like the eyes of the mother bird hatching her eggs. Her entire mind is fixed on the eggs and there is a vacant look in her eyes. Can you show me such a picture? It's very interesting. It was a nice example. The one whose mind is absorbed, once he has, he has become an adept in a kagrata, in one-pointedness, whatever he may be doing, the mind is always, a part of the mind is always in that contemplation. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say that his state is like his state is like a person who is having a toothache. When you have a toothache, those who have had toothache, they all know that whatever you may be doing, uh, you have to go for your work, you have to do your day-to-day, uh, take care of your responsibilities. But the pain, you can never forget. You may be cooking, you may be washing dishes, you may be in the office doing your job, whatever you may be doing. The pain is there at the background of your mind. You can never forget that Like that's too thick. You can never forget. Similarly, the one who has become an adept in yoga, whatever he may be doing, a part of the mind is always engaged in that contemplation. It can never be taken away. So it's as jokingly we say uh, that uh, someone asked that uh, in those days, this transcendental meditation was, became very popular. Uh, Mahesh Yogis, Transcendental Meditation, TM, many of you have heard of it. It's a really an effic- it's a effective way of uh, controlling your mind and having real some, what you say that, uh, productive uh, uh, ach- achievement in life through concentration. It's, 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 a, uh, it's a quite effective way. And it was quite popular in those days. And one of our young monk never knew what it is, so he went to a senior Swami to ask, Swamiji have you heard of transcendental meditation? The old Swami have never heard, but he was a very jovial Swami. He just thought for a bit and then what he told was something very interesting. I have not heard of transcendental meditation, but Sri Ramakrishna has taught us dental meditation. And this, this young Swami was surprised, what is dental meditation, Sri Ramakrishna taught. And then he told this example, that when you have toothache, whatever you may be doing, you can never forget. Your part, of, part of your mind is with your teeth, with the dental meditation is doing. So the aim is that, what, that, how, that whatever uh, path of contemplation you may be following, the aim is that at last you should become so adept that a part of the mind is always engaged. So even when you're looking, as if your mind is always attuned to the divine consciousness. So the detachment has grown. So the look has a, just as a, there is no intent looking. The looking, the look itself speaks of detachment, It's an aimless look. And that's what Sri Ramakrishna is giving a nice example. When the bird is hatching its egg, its eyes are wide open, but the bird's entire attention is on the egg. So that the eyes is not focused on anything it is aimless that speaks of the state of yoga means is like hatching the egg you are totally uh, you are involved in your divine contemplation uh, master mahashaya told that he will try to get such a picture but we have such picture the best picture of that is the picture of holy mother sri ramakrishna is not a single picture you can ha- you will have with eyes open his eyes were always closed we have three or four pictures in not a single picture his eyes are open it's always half closed but you see a holy mother's picture his eyes are open the, if you know the story behind that picture it's very interesting when that picture was taken uh, it's the the foreign devotees sister nivedita and uh, Mrs. Bull, they came to India and they had some wonderful time with Holy Mother. They were really, means uh, highly devoted to Holy Mother, seeing their simple life. And now it was time for them to return. Mrs. Holy Bull was supposed to return back to America. And now she wanted a photograph of Holy Mother. Now there was no photograph of Holy Mother. And now Holy Mother was not at all willing. She was a very shy lady that some unknown person will come to take her photo. That idea itself was repulsive. She was not agreeing. At last, what Holy Bull told was that, is that, that I want to take this picture back to America so that I can worship. I can keep it in my altar. I want to worship it. Now she couldn't resist. But seeing the devotee's plea she at last she agreed. And this photo which was taken, you know, this is a wonderful photo. Holy Mother never had the, her hairs on one side. She was a simple lady. The way she has been decorated, it was Nivedita and the Western ladies, MacLeod and all. They dressed him that way. That they tied the sari in under one of the armpits, and that her hair was on one side. And when the photographer came to take the photo, uh, if you all, if you're aware, I don't know. The first photo was she really was very shy. She turned her face away from the camera, and she was looking downwards. That's also a very nice picture. So that was the picture. And now naturally the all the devotees were pleading, Mother, that's not the way. Please look at the camera. And then the second time, Mother took some time. Then she sat still, and the photo was taken. It looks as if an ordinary picture, but the one who wrote uh, this comments really understood the significance of this photo is Sister Nivedita, the Irish lady. She in one letter is writing a wonderful thing. Can you imagine the lady who is facing the camera always used to have a huge long veil, even in front of his husband, Ramakrishna have never seen face of Holy Mother. It's very interesting. The husband has almost never seen. Because always, whenever he used to come in front of Ramakrishna, there was a long veil. So such a shy lady, when just it was mentioned that uh, the photo has to be taken to America for they want to worship it. And they told that she used to go to a state of Samadhi now and then, even in, uh, when he was talking, suddenly she will sit quietly, not speaking at all, with the eyes open. And Sister Nivedita was convinced that this is the time when she was asked the second time, when they asked that we want a photo looking at the camera, she was totally out of his body. She was oblivious of the surrounding. She was not at all oblivious of the surrounding. Suddenly, she was in deep divine communion. With the eyes open and in such state you forget whether you are a man or a woman, you forget whether you're a body, you transcend the bodily feeling. And that's what happened with Holy Mother. This is a wonderful idea. When Swami Vivekananda was in the West, once he told that, see in your country when I came here, here, that nudity is a sign of beauty. You want to show off your body just, it's, a, it's a way of showing your beauty. In India, nudity is a sign of purity. The sage, the saints go naked, the naga sannyasis, because they're not aware of their body. If you have read the life of Ramakrishna, Ramakrishna couldn't keep his clothes. It always used to fall off. There are so many funny stories. One day Ramakrishna uh, went to the Brahma Samaj, visited Brahma Samaj, and there they gave him some, uh, some refreshments. He sat on the floor to have the refreshment. And by that time already he was a known figure. So now while taking the refreshment, he started bragging. What was the bragging? See, my condition previously was really bad. I was not conscious of my clothes. Whenever now and then I used to go to Samadhi when it will fall off. Now it is much better. When he's told he's much better immediately there was an uproar of laughter from behind the screen in those days the woman folk the females the ladies never used to come in front of all so whenever there was some gathering some uh, important person used to visit they will just uh, view the entire proceedings of it from behind the screen there used to be some screen from from outside you cannot see them from inside they can see all the thing so there was a huge Uproar of laughter there when Ramakrishna told that now his condition is better. You know why? Just sometimes you will find when the when the small child has has developed a little awareness of body, it span falls off, it will be trying to pull it up. And Ramakrishna was pulling up its dhoti so much that everything was visible. (laughs) Just pulling and pulling and pulling and saying, My condition is better. Previously, uh clothes used to fall off. So that was his condition. What it speaks of that when you go beyond the bodily feeling, Ramakrishna, why the clothes falls off? That is interesting. He has developed such a, with ideas, the identifications was nervous association. That bondage speaks of tying knot. So he could never tie any knot to his clothes. No, throughout his life, he never tied a knot. He will just somehow wear it and just without tying the knot, he will wear it so naturally <clears throat> the question of keeping the cloth intact was very difficult so whenever he was in bhava samadhi the clothes used to fall off it happens and and it was something no one was embarrassed because he really looked like a small child and it's a common thing in indian tradition that that the that as you have no sense of body so he just traverses travels naked so when Swami Vivekananda returned from the West for the first time he was traveling across India along with the Western devotees. The ladies were there. In some railway station, MacLeod seeing a Naga Sannyasi. seeing a Naga Sannyasi shouted. When I mean, was, she was horrified, seeing a uh, naked swam, monk, monk walking on the platform in everyone's vision, means, vis, everyone can see in everyone's vicinity. It's something barbarous, she thought. And she just screamed, just being totally frustrated. And immediately Swami Vivekananda scolded him that you have came to a different culture. Try to understand it. In your country, it's a sign of as if show off. Here they're totally totally oblivious of the surrounding. So what we are saying that here also that, that aimless look from where it comes because the mind is totally engaged in deep contemplation. So outwardly, it looks like that as if he's, his eyes are open, but he's not looking at anything. So there, this what you say that they move around the world like a Paramahansa, nothing touches them. So that's the thing, that high state of existence, Sri Ramakrishna wants to have a an idea of it by seeing the picture of a bird hatching its egg. M collected that picture much later, but just we, we would like to indicate that just any yogi need not have his eyes open, even eyes closed, even with the eyes open. As they have got so much deeply, uh, they have developed that uh, faculty of deep contemplation that has become their habitual state of existence. So even When they're looking around, it's been, this is the example which is even being indicated in the Bhagavatam. When in the character of Shuka, you will find he moves around the world, totally detached. His eyes have no fixed look. And as he's beyond the sense of body, he's like a mere boy, though he's a young boy. He also used to move around naked, but no one else used to feel ashamed of seeing him. Because after all, just the way when you you we don't get ashamed or embarrassed seeing a small boy naked so as their inner feeling, they had no feeling of the body, you may say that it is all poetic, it's not poetic. It's all correct. It's all I can just you can have an example, you just go to the National Geographic. And watch all those tribals who have no dress, you won't have any sort of feeling because they don't have that feeling. It's only those who want to show their beauty and are nude. you yourself also will have some embarrassed feeling. It is not the nudity, it is the feeling behind it that gives us all those uh, uneasy feel, uh, sensation. Uh, you just go to the National Geographic, see the Jarawas or any other tribes, those, those who don't wear any clothes. You won't have any sense of feeling because they don't have it. They're just moving around. It is our sense of this this it's our body consciousness which is being in the others also get inflicted by it so <clears throat> when this moving around in the world totally detached is just like a paramahansa. so <clears throat> they look like as if like one of us but they're totally detached so that's the thing Mr. ramakrishna is indicating the mind of a yogi is always fixed on god always absorbed in the self <clears throat> you can Recognize such a man by merely looking at him. His eyes are wide open with an aimless look like the eyes of the mother bird hatching her eggs. Her entire mind is fixed on the eggs and there is a vacant look in her eyes. Can you show me such a picture? M, I shall try to get one. As evening came on, the temples were lighted up. Sri Ramakrishna was seated on his small couch meditating on the divine mother. Then he chanted the names of God. Incense was burned in the room where an oil lamp has been lighted. Sounds of conch shells and gongs came floating on the air as the evening worship began in the temple of Kali. The light of the moon flooded all the quarters. The master again spoke to him. It's a wonderful way AIM has narrated the gospel. it becomes a meditation and the life of Ramakrishna is wonderful. AIM is relating the entire day from morning to evening, there are some instances where Aim was with Ramakrishna for twenty-four hours, and here we find a person, not for a single moment speaking anything apart from the God and divine. No talks, no such casual topics comes into his discussion. No such casual that how are you, how is your health? No such discussion. Either he is called totally absorbed in the divine, or when he comes down, he's speaking of God and God alone. There's such a life, such a totally absorbed life is something which can be highly inspirational for us. Just see, not a single word you will find he's speaking, which speaks apart from the, the spirituality. It's all t- 24 hours he's living that life. Master, perform, perform your duties in an unselfish spirit. The work that Vidya Sagar is engaged in is very good. Always try to perform your duties without desiring any result. M, yes sir. But may I know if one can realize God while performing one's duties, can Rama and desire coexist? That's the thing we were saying. Rama, Jaha Ram Taha Nahi Kam. Tulsidas famous saying, Jaha Kam Taha Nahi Ram. So can Rama and desire coexist? The other day, I read in a Hindi couplet, that's the Tulsidas couplet, where Rama is, the desire cannot be. Where desire is, the, Ram, where the Rama cannot be. Master, all without exception perform work. Ramakrishna's uh, this wonderful thing, he was uh, in our uh, so called academic sense, Ill- not, we shouldn't say illiterate, he knew how to read and write, but he as such read no books. In that way, you can say almost illiterate. But in his talks, you will find again and again, it is a quotation from various scriptures coming spontaneously. Here again, we will find he's saying something which is in Bhagavad Gita. What he's saying? All without exception. Perform work. Even to chant the name and glories of God is work. As is the meditation of the non-dualist on I am he. Breathing is also an activity. There is no way of renouncing work altogether. So do your work but surrender the result to God. It is the scriptures it came from their mouth. It is not that that they have to read the scripture. the eliminate soul. God has descended as a human being and that's how the scriptures has evolved. It comes to their mouth. They hear the scriptures has to tally with what he is speaking. In Bhagavad Gita, That we know that in the fifth chapter, from eighth through tenth, the slokas are there. Exactly, these are the words Naiva Karomiti, Yukto, Mannyeta Tattvit, Pashyan, Srinvan, Sprishan, Jigran, Ashnan, Gachhan, Swapan, Shwasan, Pralapan, Visrijan, Grinhan, Unmishan, Nimishanapi, Indriyan, Indriyar the, Theshu, vartanta itidharayan. So the same thing that whatever we are doing is all action. That’s whether we are seeing, hearing, touching, smelling, moving, sleeping, breathing, speaking, exercising, grasping, opening or closing eyes, everything is action. But who is a karma yoga who does with the, this divine knowledge that see that it is only the material, the material senses are moving amongst the objects that's what is mentioned what is that indriyan vartanta Itidharayan. dharayan it is just the sense senses are moving along with the sense objects it's not you you are just the mere spectator brahmanya dhaya karmani sangam tyakta lipyate nasapapena padmapatram ivambasa so as we cannot get rid of actions. Actions has to be a part of life. As long as we are alive, as long we are breathing with each and every breath, we are of of course doing some activity. We cannot be beyond activity. So it's not the activity that has to be renounced. It is a Sangha. It is attachment to the work that has to be renounced. So that's the thing. When he says that can Rama and Kama, when Rama and desire coexist? Yes, of course it cannot coexist. But desire shouldn't be equated with work. We work with desire, but work can continue without desire. And that's the thing which has to be practiced, especially as a householder, as God has kept you in the house as a householder. That's Sri Ramakrishna will indicate in the next discussion only. So there is no way that you can just leave your responsibilities. You have to be in it. But that doesn't mean that you are eternally damned There's a way out. There's a way out. That Sri Ramakrishna is speaking the word of hope. He's never saying that you have to change your mode of life for spiritual illumination. In whatever situation you may be, as per your, uh, um, what you say, the divine will, in whatever situation you may be, you can use that situation for your spiritual illumination. And for that, detachment is the thing which is necessary. So let the things go on. Let as per responsibilities, you go on doing the things without hankering for the results. Surrender the result to God. So you do your work, but surrender the result to God. The, uh, so, sir, may I make an effort to earn more money? Master, it is permissible to do so, to maintain a religious family. You may try to increase your income, but in an honest way. The goal of life is Uh, not the earning of money, but the service of God. Money is not harmful if it is devoted to the service of God. So, not a single word he is saying, which you will find superfluous, just to the point, the exact way he is showing. As in our scriptures, it is mentioned, there are four Purusharthas, Dharma, Artha, Kama, Moksha. How nicely it was devised. The scripture is never saying that Moksha is the only goal dharma artha kama moksha. That as a student, your only goal is dharma. It's not to, uh, in the modern sense that we uh, understand that knowledge means to gather information. It's not gathering of information. It's the internalization of the values, which is not at all given importance in the modern education. In the olden days, the education, the brahmachari is the student. brahmacharatiya sa that he has started contemplating on the higher truths of life, is getting equipped to enter the householder's life. How? By internalizing the values. And that speaks of dharma. That as a student, get established in dharma. Let your life speak of the values, that that all the values should be exemplified through your life. With that type of personality, when you have built up your character, now enter as a householder. Now you are entitled for artha and come for wealth. You have, you, you it is one of the Purusharthas. Go for wealth, because householder is the nodal point of the entire society. The other three ashramas, the brahmachari, the vanaprastha, the sannyasa, all depends on the householder. He is the nodal point. He has to earn. But his earning should be that. That's why as a student, he's. Purushartha was dharma. Now the dharma is the guiding force. He has the legitimate right to earn, even earn more, but in righteous way. Karma, the sense pleasures of life, they are also okay. You go for them, but dharma should be there. It should be guided by dharma. That, that's why in marriage the vows are there. That yet you, we are entering a life where pleasure is a part of it, but Dharma is the guiding factor behind it. So just see how nicely it was all planned. Through through the householder's life, gradually the renunciation is bound to come through the experiences of life because your life started as a brahmachari where you were already the divine, the the spiritual dimension. It was made, you, you were made aware of it, but you were not having sufficient renunciation to be attuned to that. You go through the householder's life, in behind your mind, the spiritual portal, you're aware of it. And a time comes when, the, through the experiences of life, you reach a plateau. Enough. All these goals you have met, you have wealth, you have position in life, you have you have had the sensitive pleasures of life. Now, it's bound to, it's, a plateau is supposed to come, it's just a what there's a midlife crisis is bound to come, that what all my aims were there, I have achieved, what to do with the life. And then as a human being, the meaning of life, that search is bound to come. And now after this householder's experience, now the Dharma will be guiding you for the moksha. So this Artha Kama did play a role in your evolution, in your spiritual evolution. It never told that you just renounce everything and go for moksha from the day one, it's never possible. As India forgot its own culture, its own four Purusharthas, we had to go for thousands of years of years of degradation. That spirituality means leave everything and just think of contemplation, nothing else. As a result what happened in the name of spirituality, all sorts of superstitions developed because I am not up to it. you cannot force yourself to moksha. As you are not high up to the ideal, you drag the ideal down. In the name of religion, vamachara, and all sorts of practices came, crept into the religion. Why? As I cannot move up to the ideal, I brought down the ideal. And superstitions were there. And not only that, society became, the society became something uh, uh, like a living fossil that the same India, which uh, is known as Bharata. Bharata word means a knowledge society. Bha means illumination. Rata means one is engaged. A society which is engaged in knowledge. Knowledge speaks of illumination. That's why you find in the Vedic society, when the Artha, Kama, all these were given importance. Every in all the fields, in maths, in science, in surgery, in metallurgy, every field you find that nation was flourishing in the all the scientific discoveries, everything we find that in the Vedic age, it, it started there. And suddenly this everything stopped. Why? In the post-Buddha era, we forgot about this Artha and Kama as our uh, Purusharthas. Only Moksha was a Purushartha. And as a result, the society became, this the entire society became something like a living fossil It was in a, as if like an animated suspension, that uh, it it was in a, what you say that uh, uh, when uh, a person is in coma state, he's just alive, but he can do nothing. The society became like, it was, went into like a coma state, everything. The society was just as it is. You go to the Indian village, you can find out the thousands of years back what the Indian society was. It's just a reflection. Why? Moksha is the only goal, all progress. Social upliftment stopped, Abhyudaya stopped, and there was no spiritual progress also. In the name of spirituality, all superstitions, all wrong practices came into being because we forcefully tried to have moksha as the only goal. We have to evolve. And along with the, as we evolve, there should be various other Purusharthas which helps us to gradually evolve. And that's what Sri Ramakrishna, how nicely he's saying, it is permissible it is to do so to maintain a religious family. Of course, you aren't for wealth. You try to increase your income, but in an honest way, the Dharma should guide it. The goal of life is not the earning of money, but the service of God. So that you should never forget. Dharma should be the guiding principle. The spiritual thing you should never forget. Let these experiences gradually take you to the uh, ultimate renunciation. Don't simply That Ramakrishna himself again used to say that the scab which has formed over the wound, if you forcefully just try to scratch it out, the wound will lacerate. Let it fall off automatically. That speaks of the real renunciation. So money is not harmful if it is devoted to the service of God. So keep that. Let the family be the family for for the devotional practice. Actually, all our... Even the ritual speaks of that. The marriage was religious. You know how, if you just know this Indian tradition of marriage, the wedding ceremony, there the the the, bra, the groom will have some sharp thing in his hand. It may be some the something to cut the nut or sword. Some will have sword. You know what's the reason? The one with whom you are getting married, she's just not your wife, she's Shakti. With the help of her, gradually you will go beyond this world of Maya. So and the wife is also thinking the same way: the with whom I am marrying is a Shiva. So it is the marriage of Shiva and Shakti. That's a wonderful idea. That and what's the sword meant for? That the one with whom I am marrying she, it is with her help, I'm going to cut asunder the bonds of Maya. That's why any sharp instrument is in the hand of the groom. We don't know the rituals are are being performed without understanding the meaning of it. That's the sharp instrument is in the hand of the groom to indicate that. And that speaks of the respect, the Sahadharmani, with that, uh, that love entails in respect. If you see the relation of Ramakrishna and Holy Mother, there was no worldly relation, but what respect they have each other. Once Ramakrishna unknowingly, mistakenly told him "tui," means generally for the juniors that word is used. That "you" in Bengali there's three degrees for uh, for this, I mean, the juniors you say "tui" for your the same age person it is "tumi," and for the seniors it is "apni." And Ramakrishna thought that in his room his niece has entered bringing the food and she, he told tui and later he realized it was holy mother and next day morning he went uh, to nahabat just to say that he was extremely sorry he thought it was a niece and she couldn't sleep throughout the night that's what it was that sense of respect was there, tremendous respect so this all speaks of dharma behind the all the things which you are doing the family becomes a this is the place of the God. The relations become holy if we can just change the orientation. And that's what Sri Ramakrishna is saying. There's nothing is bad. You lead a family life. Try to increase your income, but keep God in your mind. Everything is the service of God. Money is not harmful. It is devoted in the service of God. You can make the family the temple. And that's all speaks of our orientation. It's not changing the mode of life. So with this, we stop our discussion today. Thank you all. Namaskars.